Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 11. Let's read our text. And it basically it's a study on the temples. And um, we've already, let's read it once again, Revelation 11, just two verses. Um, then John was given a reed like a measuring rod. And the angel stood saying, rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple. Do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. As we make our way through Revelation, we are in between the sixth and the seventh trumpet judgment. Chapter 11 speaks of the tribulation temple, these two verses here, and also uh, next week, we'll be talking about the two witnesses. Uh, then the blowing of the seventh trumpet, which will usher in the seven final bowl judgments. This morning, because of the video on the pandemic, I thought I would give a brief study on uh, the first three temples and then the coming tribulation temple that is mentioned here, and then very briefly, uh, the millennial temple that will exist during the 1,000 year um, uh, millennial kingdom range. For the first one, um, I want you to turn to the book of Exodus chapter 40, and I'm gonna put on screen what we refer to as the wilderness tabernacle. And this is what it would have um, looked like. As they're doing that, let me draw your attention to chapter 40, and we'll read verses one through seven. Of course, after coming out of Egypt, Moses was given instructions. Okay, so let's read verses one through seven of chapter 40. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, on the first day of the first month, you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. You shall put in it the ark of the testimony, and uh, petition off the ark with the veil. You shall bring in the table and arrange the things that are to be set in order, and you shall bring in the lampstand and light its lamps. You shall also set the altar of gold for the incense before the altar of the testimony, and put up the screen for the door of the tabernacle. Then you will set the altar of the burnt offerings before the door of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. And you shall set the laver between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar and put water in it. You shall set up the court all around and hang up the screens at the court gate. You shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. And you shall hallow it and all the utensils, utensils shall be holy. And you shall anoint the altar of the burnt offering with all the utensils and sanctify the altar, the altar shall be most holy. And you shall anoint the laver in a space and sanctify it. And then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water. You shall put the holy garments on Aaron, anoint him, sanctify him, that he may minister to me as priest. And you shall bring his sons and clothe them in tunics, you shall anoint them as you anointed their father, 
that they may minister to me as priest for the anointing shall surely be an everlasting priesthood throughout their generation. And thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him to do. And it came to pass in the first month of the second year on the first day of the month that the tabernacle was raised up. Flip back to chapter 25 and it gives us the reason that the Lord wanted a tabernacle. So we're looking at the first nine verses um, and it gives us the reason that the Lord wanted the tabernacle created in the first place. So in Exodus 25, we read verse one, and then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I want you to speak to the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart, you shall take an offering. And this is the offering which you shall take from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple, scarlet yarn, fine linen thread and goat's hair, ram skins, dyed red, badger skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamp, and spices for the anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones and stones that will be set in the ephod and in the breastplate. Verse eight is very important. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. The purpose for the wilderness tabernacle is so that God's presence would be amongst his people. And verse nine, according to all that I show you, that is the pattern of the the tabernacle and the pattern of its furnishings, just so you shall make it. So as we consider um, uh, the first wilderness uh, tabernacle um, was that God himself would dwell amongst them. Now, they wandered for 40 years, correct? So every time they moved, they had to break camp. And when you read carefully, and if, if it wasn't a mini-study this morning, I would take you and show you the exact numbers and how they would move. But the way they knew they were breaking camp is the presence of the Lord would go up and begin to move. And whenever the presence of the Lord would go up and begin to move, they moved with him. And when the presence of the Lord stopped, they stopped. And they had, when they would camp around where the Levites were and where the temple would be erected, they would have four tribes to the north, remember the 12 tribes of Israel, four tribes to the south, four tribes to the east, and four tribes to the west. And when you look at the numbers, it's very, very interesting because some would be longer and others would be shorter. And if you would have a bird's eye view of flying over the first wilderness tabernacle when they would set up camp again, this is what it would look like. That, my friends, is the shape of a cross. And that's what it would have looked like if you would have gone over it. And I find that more than just a coincidence. Let's move on to the second temple and let's go to 1 Kings uh, chapter 5. 1 Kings chapter 5, beginning with verse 13. 
over 400 years uh, with the Wilderness Temple. And it was David's desire um, that the Ark of the Covenant, David was bemoaning the fact that he lives in this beautiful home, but the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies was behind these curtains. And he said, this isn't right. And his heart's desire was to build um, a permanent temple for the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. And um, Nathan the prophet, he told him, this is what I want to do. And he says, go for it, David. And so Nathan's on his way home and the Lord taps him on his shoulder and says, David can't do it. I want you to go back and tell him no. He said he's got too much blood on his hands. Remember Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. He says, but tell him this, his son will build it. David spent the rest of his days accumulating unbelievable wealth for the building of what we call the second temple, which was Solomon's temple. And we're picking it up in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 13. Then King Solomon raised up a labor force out of Israel, and the labor force was 30,000 men. All right, we're talking half, half the population here of Appleton. We're just working on this one structure. And he sent them to Lebanon 10,000 a month in shifts that with one month in Lebanon and two months at home, Adoram was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 70,000 who carried burdens, 80,000 who carried stones in the mountains. Besides these, 3,300 from the chief of Solomon's deputies who supervised the people who labored in the workers. So there were just um, 300 that were just foremans. And the king commanded them to carry large stones, costly stones and huge stones to lay the foundation of the temple. And so Solomon's builders, uh, Hiram's burdens and the Gibelites carried them and they prepared timber stone and built the temple. And it came to pass in the 480th year after the children of Israel had come out of the land of Egypt. So we're looking at a four, over a 400-year period of time uh, that existed before the building was actually being built. In the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month that he began to build the house of the Lord. Now, house which King Solomon built for the Lord, its length was 60 cubits in width, 20 in its height, 30 and 30 cubits. The vestibule in front of the sanctuary of the house was 20 cubits long across the breadth of the house and its width exceeded 10 cubits from the front of the house, uh, roughly 30 by 15 feet. And he made for the house windows with beveled frames Against the wall of the temple, he built chambers all around. Against the wall of the temple, all around both the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary. Uh, Thus he made side chambers all around it. The lowest chamber was five cubics wide. The middle was six cubics wide. The third was seven cubics wide. And he made narrow ledges around the outside of the temple so that the support beams would not be fastened into the walls of the temple. 
And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stones uh, finished at the quarry so that no hammer or chisel of any tool was heard in the temple when it was being built. In other words, we're talking prefab. When they put this together, uh, there was no sounds. He just slid these things into place. Now, when we visit Israel today and go up, um, I imagine Solomon was even more precise. You can't take a knife blade and stick it between where these two boulders come together. They are that finely hewn. And um, it's an amazing feat. Uh, One with Herod's temple, one of the stones literally is the size of a laborer's school bus. Literally. And how they got these things in there with such perfection is just um, um, an unbelievable feat that was taking place. So um, there is a place called Solomon's Quarries that uh, you can visit to this day. I've been there several times. And a lot of, a lot of the um, quarrying came from what they call Solomon's Quarries. Verse seven, in the temple when it was built, with, oh, I read that, verse eight, the doorway of the temple uh, for the middle story was on the right side of the temple. They went up by the stairs to the middle story and from the middle to the third. So he built the temple and he finished it. And he paneled the temple with beams and boards of cedar. And he built side chambers against the entire temple. Each five cubits high, they were attached to the temple uh, with cedar beams. I'm going to be reading through verse 14, but at this time I'm going to put a picture up of what Solomon's temple would have looked like as we read these last couple verses here. Then the word of the Lord came to Solomon saying, concerning this temple which you are building, if you walk in my statutes, execute my judgments, keep all my commandments, and walk in them, I will perform my word with you, which I spoke to your father David. And I will dwell among the children of Israel and will not forsake my people Israel. So Solomon built the temple and finished it. And this was the second temple. Um, It took 20 years for this to be completed. And just, again, look at the labor force that they had to put this thing together. So Solomon's temple, of course, um, existed until it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. We're in Zechariah, and one of the things we're learning in Zechariah is Zechariah and, and Haggai I are trying to encourage the people because now they're back from their 70 years captivity and they get discouraged. Uh, turn with me to the book of Ezra chapter five. If you're in First uh, Kings, Ezra is just, a, um, you go to uh, Kings, First and Second Chronicles and then you're gonna run into Ezra. So turn to Ezra chapter five. I'm just gonna read two verses from here. And now we're gonna go into the third temple. We're actually, we're studying this on uh, Saturday and in, in men's prayer. 
And that was in Second Chronicles. I'm just going to read this to you. This is how we ended men's prayer on Saturday. Um, I'm going to read verses. The, the last chapter of Second Chronicles is the destruction of Solomon's temple. So this is how Second Chronicles ends. And said, and all this is um, Nebuchadnezzar um, destroying the temple. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and his leaders, and these he took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the walls of Jerusalem, burned all its places with fire, and destroyed all the precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath rest. As long as she lay desolate, she kept, um, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put in writing saying, thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given to me and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, Uh, Who is there among all his people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Marching orders. Go back. Rebuild the temple. And so they do. And in Ezra chapter 5, verses um, 1 and 2, we read that the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, and again, this is where we are in Wednesday night, Zechariah, and I hope as a result, maybe been feeling fearful about going out and such like that, I hope that has been alleviated this morning so that you can come to church um, very, very confident uh, that you might catch a cold. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Period. (laughs) So, now we have them coming back, but remember they're coming back to a city that has been completely destroyed. Ashes. The temple's completely burned. And the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of uh, Ido, uh, prophet and prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over there. So Zerubbabel and the son of uh, she. Tilly and uh, Jehu, the son of Zodak, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. I really couldn't, we couldn't really find a picture of this particular temple. What we are told is that when they saw the temple done, that the old men wept, they cried. But all the young men were saying glory, hallelujah. The reason the old men were weeping 
is that they remember what Solomon's temple looked like. And what they were looking at this, they're not talking apples and apples at all. And so the old men cried and the young men were rejoicing. We got our temple back. But here's, here's sort of how it was laid out. The construction began in uh, this order by Cyrus was in October of 539 B.C., and this is where he issues the decree to rebuild the temple. It began in 536 B.C. Less than 50,000 Jews came back from Babylon, and they got discouraged, and they quit. They started building, um, but it was discontinued because of discouragement in 534, so just two years later, B.C., and then because the encouragement of Zechariah and Haggai and Ezra and the others, uh, it was resumed again in 520 B.C., and it was completed in 515 B.C., um, about around 500 uh, years later, um, we come up to what we today call Herod's Temple. I do have a picture of Herod's temple, and I want to make a comparison. Let's put Herod's temple up first. Okay, this is Wilson's arch and Robinson's arch, and um, um, this uh, temple here um, was was um, you know Herod. He was a scoundrel. Let's just—I can't put it any other way. But if it was one thing he was good at, it was building. He built Masada. He built this temple. He built Herodian. And um, he, he began building in 20 BC. Do you remember when they came to Jesus and Jesus said, destroy this temple and in three days I'm gonna raise it up again? And, and, and they thought they were talking about this temple here. They said, are you crazy? We've been working on this thing for 46 years and you're gonna rebuild it in three days? And then it goes on and say, no, he was talking about the temple of his body and that um, that's really where the temple is. And so let me give you a comparison of the magnitude of this and I'm gonna put on screen both of them and the smaller one there is Solomon's temple. The bigger one is Herod's temple. Now, I gotta admit, when we pulled this up, I was shocked because um, I just figured they would be roughly the same size. Herod's temple's at least two and a half times larger, where it says that he greatly enlarged the temple. And Jesus prophesied about this, talking to his disciples. He says, you guys see this temple? You say, I'll tell you this. The day is coming when there will not be one stone left upon another. And then he gives the reason why. Because you did not know the time of my coming. In other words, they were supposed to know the book of Daniel because Daniel told that um, when the Lord would, would come, then Jesus prophesied, and they didn't receive him as Messiah. As a result, it said this is going to be destroyed. Well, Jesus said that on April 6, 32 AD. 38 years later, 
in 70 AD, the Roman 10th Legion came down and um, destroyed the temple and not one stone was left upon another. One of my favorite things to do is when we go to Israel is over the last 30 plus years, when we would go there and walk over the years, they've been uncovering the original stones that now are at street level, but for many years there's 20 to 30 feet of dirt on top of them. Well, they've been excavating and excavating and excavating, and to this day, the very stones that were pushed over, they've all got cleaned up, they didn't move them, they, 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 they're right where they originally were when the Romans pushed them over. And it's amazing to see uh, every year the big archaeological work right now is um, King David's uh, city. So both temples, Solomon's temple and Herod's temple, were both destroyed on the very same day. It's called the Ninth of Av. And that, I don't believe, is a coincidence at all. And I just threw that in there for extra credit. So, let's go to the Tribulation Temple. And um, this, the, there has not been a temple in Jerusalem since 70 AD, but it's being talked about on a regular basis today. And um, I'm going to quote from the Lord prophesying about this future temple that will be rebuilt. Now you, you don't have to turn, I'll just read. The Lord said concerning the great tribulation, and that's what we're studying right now, and in, in, uh, we're in between right now, but in a couple weeks we'll be in this terrific period of time. And can I get just, again, get a little sidetracked here? Um, I... I you're going to do it anyway. Somebody said, you're going to do it anyway. No, literally, on a serious note, this is really going to happen. This unbelievable, where Jesus said there's never been a time like it. There's never going to be a time like it again. And I just really want to encourage you guys, especially you men. I want you to man up and think about people that you care about. And I don't, uh, don't, don't worry about what they think about you. You're aware that they could enter into such a horrific, awful period of time that um, you have to tell them. You just have to tell them no matter what they think of you or whatever. And if they think you're some wacko, um, radical, um, maybe they'll think a little bit clearly when they hear all the scientific information and facts that are coming out, that was so well laid out. And the Lord talking about this period of time, he says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. When that happens, and that happens, we'll be getting to that in a couple of weeks. It's in the middle of the book of Revelation. Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. Woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days and pray that your flight is not on the Sabbath. Why? For then there will be great tribulation, 
such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. And unless those days are shortened, no flesh will be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Why did you read Matthew 24? Because he makes reference to the abomination of desolation. That can only take place, as he's quoting Daniel 9, verse uh, 27. It can only take place if you have a temple. And now Paul talked about it, and I'll just read two verses where Paul talks about the tribulation temple. I'm quoting 2 Thessalonians 2, verses three and four. Let no one deceive you by any means. You think it's possible to deceive the whole world? Hmm. Think it's possible to deceive the whole world. Past tense. It's done, it's happening. You're a remnant, do you realize that? How much of a remnant of people who actually are aware of what's really happening? For let no man deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, that a man of sin is revealed the son of perdition. What day? The tribulation, the day of the Lord. Who opposes and exalts himself all that is called God in his worship, so that he sits as God, notice, in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. He's talking about the tribulation temple that John measures. Let's go back to, we're getting close to winding things up here. Um, let's go back to Revelation 11. And we're told that John is um, to measure it, but don't measure the outside because it's been given to the Gentiles. I can't even begin to go there because there's a whole study with it itself. And this tribulation temple uh, will be destroyed during the second half of the tribulation. So this one will also be destroyed. There will be one other temple that will exist for the next 1,000 years after this 70 year period of time and it's the um, Ezekiel 43, and we are almost done. Ezekiel 43, and I'll just read verses one through seven here. From chapter 40 to 48, these are all passages that deal with what takes place during the 1,000 year millennial reign. Chapter 43 is a completion of the millennial temple and the, the glory of the Lord is returning to it. Afterwards, he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces towards the east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters and the earth uh, shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of the vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The vision was like the vision which I saw by the river Chabar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by the way of the gate which faces towards the east. The spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple and then I heard him speak 
to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. And he said, son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. No more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, nor shall their kings by their harlotry or with their carcasses and their kings on their high places. This will exist for 1,000 years. And after that, we have the new Jerusalem. And one thing it points out is there is no temple in the new Jerusalem. But the Lord himself will be the center of that all. I want to leave not just with a history lesson this morning on the four or five temples that the scriptures teach but more on a personal application level. And this is our last verse, so please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll read verses 16 and 17. We've been talking about temples. We read in Exodus 25, what's the purpose of the temple? So that God could dwell there. He wanted to dwell with his people. So now we read in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16, it tells us this. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You could not just casually go into the Holy of Holies. There was a veil, 18 inches thick, that kept you out. And only the high priest could go in there, and that was once a year. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? It says the veil of the temple was rent from the top to the bottom. No more need for a priesthood. You have direct access. Now there's one mediator between you and God. And he's not dwelling behind the curtain anymore. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he took up residence in you. And now you're the temple of God. And um, I wanted to make that application as we just took this uh, extra 10 minutes to do this Bible study this morning. (laughs) Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Oh, Lord, we, we thank you for the information that we received in the video. And my prayer, Lord, is that um, um, the, the people who don't know you, they don't have the information that we have. I think, of, I think of this young man I saw walking down the street two days ago in such despair and hopelessness written all over his body. I pray for that young man today. But I thank you, Lord. Um, Like it says, when you know the truth, it'll set you free. I I pray for any that are fearful um, of this so-called pandemic. And um, we just pray, Lord, that we will take advantage and encourage people to be able to watch it, hopefully, here online. And... I thank you for your word this morning, Lord, that uh, you've given us direct access to you. 
And we don't have to go through any man, any priest, but there's only one mediator, and that's you. And we thank you so much for that. Uh, Thank you for the people being patient as we go a little bit longer this morning. But we know we live in the last days, and you could come at any time. So help us be about our Father's business. In Jesus' name, amen.